Okay, could you just start by saying your name and your um, position here? I'm Emma Bolam. I'm Head of Production at the Clinical Biomanufacturing Facility. And that's part of the Jenner Institute, is that right? It, it used to be, and oh. it was during our COVID manufacturing time, but we're now affiliated with the Pandemic Sciences Institute. Right. Okay, we'll talk a bit more about that later mm -hmm. as well. Um, so first of all, just tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. So starting from uh, your first interest in science, can you just take me through the main kind of staging posts in your career till um, you got here? Well, it started obviously in secondary school and I decided I wanted to do science A-levels. Um, I had a, a, a big interest in natural history and ecology um, and I went to Oxford Brookes University, which was Oxford Polytechnic then, to study environmental, environmental biology with the intention of a career in conservation or ecology. I really struggled to find a job in that field. They were very few and far between. Um, and an opportunity arose to join the NHS as a laboratory assistant. So I started in that post and then I progressed into a research assistant role for the NHS. And this and was, was that at the John Radcliffe Hospital? This here? was here on the Churchill Hospital the Churchill site. site yeah. so 100 metres away. <laughs> and that was um, studying blood samples from babies and children with immunodeficient diseases mm, mm. and looking at markers on their blood cells. Um, and my contract came to an end after about three years and the building where we are now was built in 1995 and it opened very late 1995. So I moved from the NHS about 100 metres over to where we are now to join the Therapeutic Antibody Centre. Now tell me a bit about that, what, what did that do? Okay, so that was part of the Sir William Dunn School of Pathology, which is down on South Parks Road, and that moved from Cambridge. Um, and we wanted a purpose-built facility to manufacture clinical-grade monoclonal antibodies for clinical trials. And that was part of the work of Herman Waldman? That's that? correct, yes, yes, yes. yes. So these were therapeutic antibodies with the intention of preventing autoimmune diseases, graft rejection, etc. Um, so I was employed as a production technician in that role, and we were established as the Therapeutic Antibody Centre from 1995 till 2005, after which our research director, Jeff Hale, left. There was really less of a need for monoclonals by that point, um, so we had a lot of very knowledgeable and experienced staff in the building and we had obviously the building designed for manufacturing of clinical grade materials obviously in clean rooms according to what we call good manufacturing practice um, which obviously very heavily controlled environment it's not like a standard laboratory so we had the infrastructure and the buildings and the staff um, and we had a license from the medicines and healthcare products regulatory agency to manufacture products for clinical trials um, so then we looked around for customers who wanted to take over from the Dunn School of Pathology and the Antibody Centre and Professor Adrian Hill and Professor Sarah Gilbert from the Jenner Institute thought this would be a wonderful idea to take it over as part of the Nuffield Department of Medicine for us to continue manufacturing clinical grade products but viral vectors to become vaccines. So um, and the vaccines that we're making now are designed to prevent against diseases, a lot of, a lot of diseases including malaria. Um, we have manufactured vaccines against Ebola, the plague, meningitis, hepatitis, chikungunya, Zika, 
few others I've probably forgotten along the way, and that's that's taken us from. Dengue? Is there a dengue one? There is, but we didn't we didn't manufacture <laughs> that one. No. Um, so we have you know quite a big repertoire mm, mm. of different vaccines that we've produced. Mm. For, for so just just going back to you for the mm. for a moment. Mm -hmm. So you started out in environment and ecology. Yes. Yes. Uh, and you've gone through virtually all of essentially cell biology and presumably bits of biochemistry right. and virology. Yes, that's right. How how have you how did you do that? Well, <laughs> how did that? How did that? How was it for we you? We, we enforce a lot of training, but we enforce a lot of um, professional development and learning. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, I was intending to have a career in plants and animals, but ha having started in the NHS and then moving to the antibody centre, I thought actually humans are quite interesting. Mm -hmm. So, so had you worked in a lab before you started with the NHS, or did you have no, to start from only no only in my undergraduate so laboratory? Had to learn how to do well, I, I did and I did that in my undergraduate degree, but yeah. mainly to do it properly, I had learned it as part of my role yeah. in the NHS. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. because obviously we had accredited laboratories, so it all had to be done very carefully. And then at the antibody centre, um, then I was promoted a couple of times. Um, so I was production manager at when we, soon after we established the clinical biomanufacturing facility, and then I progressed a couple of, of stages and to become head of production. Mm, mm. And what does that actually involve? I mean, are you are you still hands-on at the bench or do you have um, other people who do that? Well, I am hands-on at the bench, but only because we've had quite a lot of turnover of new staff recently, so they're not yet fully trained to do the manufacturing. So because I've been here for so long <laughs> and I used to do it all myself, I'm still doing it. Um, but um, my time should really be more outside of the clean rooms now, so just managing the production schedules, what work is coming in, liaising with our customers for their future projects, making sure we meet our timelines, um, updating funders and clients on our progress, um, writing lots of documents and reviewing lots of documents for other people. Uh, and there's a lot of that to do with the, um, uh, um, uh, I've lost the word I want, I'm, the word I've got is accreditation, but that's Regulation? what I mean. Regulation, yes, that's absolutely, right, yes. yes. So we have what's called a quality management system um, and that controls um, the quality aspects of our work. So we have to make sure everything is documented, everything is traceable, um, everything is fully reviewed and approved um, and that covers including all the documentation that we write. Mm, mm. And it's not a huge facility. How many vaccine projects are you able to work on at a time? So we have a suite of eight clean rooms but the way that the clean rooms were designed, obviously they were built in 1995, they're, they're quite old now, um, we only have one air handling system and that's the air supply that controls the cleanliness inside the clean room. So it's filtered in and then it's extracted and re constantly replaced by clean air. Um, unfortunately, because we handle viral vectors to make our vaccine, there's a risk of contamination between them because one viral vector could potentially contaminate the next one that we do. So we work on a campaign basis. So we have to manufacture one vaccine and then we have to clean and then we have to decontaminate our facility by fumigation before we can start the next one. So each campaign would typically take about three or four months. Um, so it sounds like quite a long time to make each one but because we're using cells to produce our vaccines we have to wait for the cells to grow up and then we have to purify the virus that the cells produce and then we have to do lots and lots of testing throughout the process to make sure we're not contaminating with anything 
Um, and then we have to fill it into our vials, the vials which will go to the clinic for the volunteers in the trials. And there's obviously a lot more testing to be done on those to make sure, one, that the vaccine is safe for the trial volunteers and also that it's the right quality. And typically, how many doses are you going to be making in a campaign? So we typically make up to 500. Um, it all depends a lot on the productivity of the virus. They, are quite, they can be quite different. Um, it depends on how many sub-batches we might make before we get to the filling stage, in which case, if we do, say, more than one, then those can be pulled to become, make a bigger batch. Um, but we have changed our filling system recently, so we can, we can produce up to 630 doses now for each filling run. And uh, who, who decides what your next campaign is going to be? So we have a management committee um, and potential cl clients or customers come to us with their vaccine of choice. They might have a grant that they want to uh, manufacture vaccine for a clinical trial. And these are research teams from yes, around the university? Yes, not just uh, university and outside the university. Outside, yeah. um, we can't secure them a slot to manufacture until they've got guaranteed funding. Um, and then once that's scheduled, then we obviously, they need to tell us exactly what they want. We'll tell them what we can deliver. We'll write the contracts, etc. Make sure everybody's happy and then we'll, we'll make a start. So what were you working on at the end of 2019? So we were working on an Ebola vaccine. And how far had you got? We were doing, we were, we'd got to as far as the purification stage, so we were part way through purifying the virus that we produced, which would eventually become the vaccine. Um, and, and this is, you know, we need to sort of really, I think, clarify this point, because mm -hmm. often you're making a vaccine against a virus, but you're using a virus to make the vaccine. So the purification that you're talking about yes, is okay. the vector, what's called this the is viral the vector. vector. So we're, yeah. we're purifying the viral vector, which is a chimpanzee virus, Chad, Chadox1, and that is a way of getting the gene of interest into the cells so that the cells will produce that Chadox1 virus with the gene that we want against the particular disease of interest. Mm, mm, mm. And um, I think we've, we've more or less got to COVID now, we've managed okay. to talk this long without okay. talking about <laughs> it. Um, but I mean, clearly you're in an environment where people would be very alert to mm -hmm. any kind of new infectious disease mm -hmm. outbreak. Mm -hmm. Can you remember where you were when you first heard about what was going on in I, China? I do, I remember it quite clearly. It was Christmas Day 2019 and I was in Wales staying with my parents. Um, I think it was quite late in the evening, I was just looking on my iPad, catching up on some news, and I saw a very small news article um, just mentioning some pneumonia-like cases in Wuhan in China, and I thought, oh, this is quite interesting. Um, I, was, I was tempted, actually, to send the link to Sarah Gilbert and Kath, our, my boss, about it, and I thought, well, no, they'll, they'll either know about it or I won't come to anything, let's not bother. Um, and then obviously after Christmas and New Year, we started hearing a bit more and more about it. And then the first cases started arriving in the UK. Um, and then it was all hands on deck. Mm. We have to seriously start thinking about doing something about this now. And, and what, at, at what point did you become involved in the planning? Because I think it was before the, almost before the first UK cases, wasn't it? So, but, so what we were going to do, we were going to just use this as a trial case. Let's see how quickly we can make what we call a starting material. And this is a batch of, a batch of the viral vector 
that we need, not produced in the clean rooms, but made from the DNA starting material that would be ready to use for manufacturing should it be needed. And we thought, let's see how quickly we could do it. So this has got the bit of that's uh, right, um, the bit of viral uh, of, of COVID DNA it. in it. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. Um, so we started doing that, and then obviously as an, an epidemic became a pandemic later on. Um, we thought we're going to have to do this for real. It's not, you know, we, this is not just a trial anymore. This is going to be a real case scenario. Um, so then we had to make the decision to postpone our Ebola vaccine manufacture. We had to put everything in the freezer. And how difficult was that? Well, luckily we were at the point where we, we could finish the purification and then the normal procedure would be to put it in the freezer anyway until we were ready to fill it into vials. So we got to that point, put it in the freezer. Then we had to really turn around our clean rooms very quickly to clean them down to make sure they were free from contamination for the COVID vaccine virus coming into the clean rooms. To and work did you out. have funding for that at that point? We didn't have, we, we secured some funding, but most of it came a lot later. So um, we, we started, you know, at risk of no funding for this, but then obviously the British government um, provided the funding. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and yeah, how. How did it go, go from so, there? Um, so we started, I think I remember, thawing the vials on the 6th of March, the vials of cells this is, to grow up enough to infect with the Chadox-1 virus. Um, and we had filled our vials with the vaccine on the 2nd of April. And it went into the first trial, clinical trial volunteer on the 23rd of April. And how does that compare with normal practice? It's ridiculously fast. So I think it was about six weeks. Six weeks? That's about right, I think. Six, mm. Well, 6th of March to the 2nd of April mm. was pretty much my work. Um, normally it takes three months. Maybe you can shave a bit off. We were lucky in that we had all the equipment ready for filling because obviously we were planning that ready for our Ebola vaccine. Um, so the isolator, which is a piece of equipment that we have to make sure we fill our I'll fill our vaccine into vials in a sterile environment to keep it clean. So that was all ready for the Ebola vaccine. So we had everything set up, all the materials needed for that. So that did save quite a bit of time. But it was a case of we finished the cell culture phase, immediately go through to extract the virus from the cells, immediately purify it. Normally we'd have a day or two in between to catch up, do some cleaning, etc. But it was, it was literally day after day, you know, we were working at the weekends, we were going home in the evening to make sure we had the documentation ready for the next day's piece of work. Um, so the whole, the whole facility was actively involved. So it was considerably faster than we've ever done it before and probably ever will again. Mm, mm. Uh, and uh, uh, not very far into this process, the country went into lockdown. That's right, yes. But you presumably, as essential workers, yes. were all able to we carry on. We were provided with a letter from our head of department that we could keep in our cars to present to a police officer should we get stopped asking us where we were going. Um, my son was very lucky to be able to continue going to school as I was classed as a key worker. So. Um, from his benefit, he came off quite well, I think. <laughs> a lot of his peers suffered very badly having to work for, do school work from home. Um, yes, yeah, so we, we kept going as normal, pretty much, just working considerably longer hours than mm, we normally mm. would. But presumably there were um, provisions in place to prevent staff from infecting each other. Yes, yeah, so we still had to maintain social distancing, um, you know, wear our masks. Obviously in the clean rooms we have all the right equipment pretty much anyway. We have masks as part of our normal gowning procedure. Um, 
two pairs of gloves for for coverage of clean room clothing. Um, but obviously there was a lot of office work, so we had to make sure that we had the right two metre segregation in place. And you've, have you got, you've got the space to do that, yes. have you? It looks quite crowded out there. It, we've had a lot of new staff since then, and a lot mm. of people were working from home by then. Right. So people, you know, admin staff who didn't necessarily need to come in, it was only really the critical staff who had to be on site for the manufacturing and the testing. So roughly how many people would that have been? Um, Doing the actual hands-on work, probably no more than about eight or ten. Oh, right. Yes. yes. Quite a small group. Yes. But yes. then we have a lot of supporting staff yes. to keep the facility running and mm. keep the documentation flowing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So what was the atmosphere like when you were working in that period? Um, it was excitement. We were all incredibly keen to do it, but of course... We were worried that what goes, you know, what what goes could go wrong would completely scupper our plans. You know, we had to make sure we had no contamination events, all the tests pass, we had the right documents in place to satisfy the regulators. Obviously, they were actively involved with us, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, and we had to keep them updated all the time um, to make sure they were happy with our, our testing plan that we had for our vaccine. Um, but it was, it was so many more hours per day to fit in you know we were obviously extremely tired we were going home not seeing our families very much coming back to do it all again the next day um, but you know we were also keen to do it mm, mm. and, and uh, your role was simply to produce enough for yes. the phase one trial yes Is that that's right, right. That's yeah exactly right. yeah um, and for the phase two trial, there was another manufacturer in Italy yes, that became that's involved. Right. Yes. Did you interact with them? At yes, all? we did. We mm. were we had to um, we had a lot of meetings with them, obviously um, sharing our information on manufacturing it with them, and they were doing likewise, sending us back information that they used. Obviously, we had to make sure that we were in agreement about the documentation we were providing, making sure the testing regime was consistent. Yes, um, but those are, those were people we'd worked with before. We've, we've worked with that company for a long, long time, so mm, they were mm. all very familiar to us. Mm, mm. Yeah. And and once you'd, um, as as you said, that the the first vaccine trial participant mm -hmm. was injected in yes. early April. That's right. Could you heave a huge sigh of relief and slow down a bit at that point? Um, we we could in some respects because obviously we wanted to know it was safe. So we were just waiting, you know, make sure that they were no nasty side effects or anything like that. Um, but then, of course, AstraZeneca came on board. So we were very actively involved liaising with them. You know, we, had to, we were sending out, you know, the cell bank that we'd used to manufacture the vaccine. We were sending that off to various places. So the same batch of cells mm -hmm. that you had started yes. with was the starting material essentially for That's all right. the vaccines that That's eventually... Right. Yes, and the, the, the virus starting material that we made in our lab across the road, um, that has gone, to, gone on to produce all the, the doses of vaccine throughout the whole consortium of the manufacturers. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Extraordinary. Mm. And, and so what, do, what did your job become after the, that initial batch was made? What, did, were you able to go back to working on the Ebola? Or yes, did we did that. We um, resumed that towards the end of 2020. Um, and then before Christmas 2020, we had put that into vials. And that is now in clinical trial in the UK and in Africa. 
and, and there's always something coming along after that. That's right, yes. yes, the next one came <laughs> along after that soon after. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's pretty much back to normal for us. You know, we just carry on as we would have done before the pandemic. Mm, mm. I mean, it's quite unusual for a university to have a facility like it's, this. It's very it? unusual. Is yes. it unique or is it? It's not unique now, but I believe we were the first. Mm -hmm. um, we were the first academic institute to have a GMP facility, a good manufacturing facility. Um, and I think, um, and obviously we were the first to use the chimpanzee adenovirus in human trials. Um, because our first one was the malaria vaccine that we produced in 2007. And have, they, have you used that vector, vector for all the trials, the, all the um, vaccines that you've produced? Um, or no, you... we, there were three different vectors. So earlier on we were using a different chimpanzee vector. Chadox one is obviously the most famous one because that's been used for the COVID vaccine and it has been used for most of our vaccines. But obviously there's a Chadox 2 one which we are using now and we have used for a couple of other vaccines. Um, the customer decides which vector they would like to engineer with the, the DNA that they want to make the disease against. But it's, it's, it's all been viral vectors, you haven't, yes. you haven't explored um, mRNA vaccines for instance? We haven't, no. Mm. We have made some protein vaccines along the way, but only a couple of those. Um, mainly it's been adenoviral vectors um, mm. since we started. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, so you, we were talking earlier about um, press exposure. I mean, you were carrying oh. all this work out under, you know, it must have been like being in a goldfish bowl, under the huge scrutiny from all the, the press and, yes. and governments and the world generally. Well, yes, well obviously um, I was kind of locked away in the clean rooms doing the manufacturing, so I didn't, I didn't have much exposure. Obviously Sarah Gilbert and Kath Green um, had the vast amount of, of press exposure. Um, yes, there were lots of film crews. Um, I remember sidestepping Fergal Walsh in the corridor. Obviously, they came <laughs> to speak to Professor Pollard, who's in this building, especially when the trial started. So, um, it, towards the end of April, then the, the press interest really picked up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you did subsequently do some interviews. I did some interviews, yes, mainly in Welsh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for, and mainly for, for Welsh um, media. So I did um, some newspaper interviews and radio and Welsh television, yes. Mm, mm. Yeah. And how did you find that? Did you have any training? No, none at all. <laughs> none at all. I was, it was, of course they wanted, they wanted the um, interviews there and then, you know, there was no, there was no really practice runs or anything like that. It was, sometimes they didn't even let me know what questions they were going to ask. It was just um, on the spot. Um, and did you yes. enjoy that? I did actually, mm. yes. Yes, it was a completely new aspect to the role, which I'm very unfamiliar with. Um, and not something that you'd expect from just manufacturing the vaccine out of out of the public eye. Mm, mm. And, <laughs> it's quite and novel. I guess not something that you realise would happen but by virtue of your being a Welsh language speaker. That's right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that did make a difference, I think. Yes. The Welsh press um, were, were quite interested. And, and interestingly, my best friend from school, obviously we're going back 30 plus years now, um, who is still in Carmarthen in West Wales where we grew up. She was... Um, the vaccine coordinator responsible for coordinating the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine in her um, health board in West Wales. What a coincidence! Yes, yes. so we, we both appeared on the, the Welsh News Channel talking about our experiences. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, one thing I've been asking a lot of people is that I mean, your your work is quite collaborative anyway because That's you've right. got you're the researchers mm -hmm. who are 
gen, you know, inventing the, the vaccines and, and then you've got manufacturing companies. Mm -hmm. did, did you find that working on the COVID vaccine was, was that even more so? Was it, or, or was it pretty much what you're used to? Um, I think it was more so because obviously um, we had a lot more um, communication with the clinical trials team because of course they it wouldn't be so rapid that we would make a product and get it into clinical trials so of course we had to keep them updated all the time about when this was going to be ready when it would be tested in time to be able to vaccinate the first volunteer um, and of course with Professor Gilbert who um, and Theresa Lamb um, obviously they were still very actively involved whilst we were doing the manufacturing and beyond that. They were essentially the people who, who put the, yes. the viral DNA into the That's factor in the first place. That's absolutely right, they designed yes. it, yes. It's, it's, it's their vaccine, mm. um, well, it, it was then, yes. Um, and because we're all in quite a small area, you know, there are about three main buildings involved. There's this building where the trials are run, there's our manufacturing building across the road, and then there's the research building, what we call the green building, just couple of hundred yards away where the design of the, the vaccine happened. Mm, mm. Um, so yes, so that, mm -hmm. um, I mean I, I think I'm, what I'm wondering is whether you feel that the experience of working on, mm -hmm. on the vaccine um, had lessons for how you might work in the future in, in, in terms of collaboration with other, other groups. Um, I think I think what benefited us is that uh, we were all familiar with the teams involved. We didn't have to sort of work out who did what. We knew who everyone was, what their role was, who could help with what decision making. So I think because we, we and because we've been established for so long, we've been doing this for a number of years. You know, getting a, an idea for a vaccine, making it, getting it into clinical trials. It although it was done very very quickly, that side of thing was quite routine, and we had. You know the people in place, the infrastructure in place. Um, but I think we need. We obviously learned that keeping people updated on where we were, where we thought we'd be in a day or even two days' time, so that they could plan their bit that they needed, just to speed up things as much as possible, mm, was mm. very beneficial, and that, that worked very well, I mm, think. Mm. And did that feel unreasonable at times? Um, I. I it, to be honest, it's such a blur to me now because we were just, it was just a whirlwind of activity. I, I don't really remember thinking, oh, this is really not going well. You know, it's just um, do what you need to do and do it properly, do it safely, um, and then do the next bit that you need to do. Mm, you know? mm, mm. Yeah. I've done that, I've done that. So yes, I think yeah, I've, I've, we've gone through things quite quickly, but um, we've got to the point when I usually ask whether um, you ever felt personally threatened by the virus itself, by the um, possibility of becoming ill. Well, we were of course all worried at the very beginning because obviously the death rate was very high until the, until the vaccine had been rolled out. There was nothing protecting people. Um, I'm still amazed to this day I've never actually had COVID. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um, but yes, we, we were very careful. I was more worried about my elderly parents. Um, they weren't shielding as such, but uh, you know, they live in quite a remote part of West Wales, so they were, they were happy just to keep out of the way. Um, but I, it was mainly worried about other people, mm, not mm. so much myself. Mm, mm. Um, 
And my, my son, who's 14 now, he would have been 12 back then, he's, he hasn't had it to my knowledge. Um, so I don't know how that's quite happened, but, <laughs> um, but quite, you know, lots of my friends have had it and staff here have had it. Um, so there, there were some cases within the unit, There were some cases, yes. not, not when we were making the vaccine, it came later when right. um, preventative measures had been reduced, it was more social mixing again. The autumn, the yeah. And of course we weren't autumn. testing so much back then, so people may have assumed they've had a, had a cold and actually had COVID, but we'll, we'll never know that. Mm, mm. Yeah, because we, we had to introduce, you know, very regular testing, but obviously that came much later in the pandemic. Yes, yes, mm. some, some, something that's difficult to remember, isn't it? Yes. That early on when actually things were most serious, we, did, right. we didn't have testing we didn't have testing, And we were told very, very explicitly um, to just stay safe, be very careful. You know, we can't stop you from going out, but try not to, just so you don't get that exposed to the virus unnecessarily, because you wouldn't be able to come into work to carry on making the vaccine, mm. and it would have huge knock-on effects down the line. Mm. So we did have to be very careful, yes. And did you feel that working under those circumstances had an impact on your well-being? And if so, what, what um, did you do to... to to be honest, for me, it was um, about six weeks, really intense work. Um, I think if my son hadn't been able to carry on going to school, it would have been a massive challenge for me. Um, but we got into kind of a routine where I'd come here, do my work, do what's needed, go home, carry on working into the, into the evening to make sure we were ready for the next day, repeat the process, keep on repeating that process. Um, obviously, I didn't have much, as much time with my son as I would have liked to. Um, he does remind me about it to this day. <laughs> he, he got an electric scooter out of it, which <laughs> kind of um, appeased him to some extent. But I don't, I don't think it's had any lasting effect. Um, and I think both of us, we've been quite lucky in that respect. Mm. That we, our lives pretty much carried on as normal, mm, mm. You know, apart from the lockdowns where you could just go to work and come home again or go to school and come home again and not do very much else. I think, I think we, we, we didn't suffer too badly from, mm. from that respect. And do you think that was true of your colleagues in, in the CBF who were working um, through that period? I think so, yes. I, think, I, I don't know about their you know, personal circumstances so much, mm. but because we were so focused on, we, what, what, on what we had to do, mm. we didn't really have the time to think about, oh, you know, I haven't, I've been working 16 hours solid, you know, I could do it with a bit of a rest. You know, we, we didn't really have the time to think about it like that. And obviously, of course, we're very, all very worried about our families and yes. our friends. But, yes. um, no, I just yeah. wondered whether there was anything within the facility that was laid on for, you know, to lighten the mood from time to time, or did you just have um, to get on with it? We just had to get on with it, yes. yes we yeah. had to, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Um, and yes, you've, and you've mentioned that the, you were doing seven days a week yes. working. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's right. Um, <clears throat> and do you, do you think, that despite the, the, um, the toughness of that, mm. the fact that you were working on something that mm -hmm. was so critical for mm -hmm. the world in general, mm -hmm. um, had brought its own satisfaction? And oh, hugely, yeah. hugely. We, um, we would never have guessed we would have to do something like this. Um, and I think it was the speed that we did it, um, and the success that we got from producing obviously a safe vaccine of high quality in such a short time and to get it into the clinic when it was needed um, and that's because we have you know we had Kath as our boss you know keeping every, everyone doing what they needed to do keeping the morale up 
um, bringing us snacks and stuff like that. But because oh, we, well, there you are, you see. I was, yeah, oh, yes. that's the kind well, of thing I was thinking was, of. You know, we had to go to the vending machine and get a few things. But we, well, we had food delivered, you know, pizzas coming in and that sort of thing. Um, and so many donations from people. You know, we'd, we'd come in this very room, we'd come and, you know, lots of people donated food, drinks, toiletries that we could come and help ourselves to. You know, there'd be, there'd be lunch here most of the time. Um, yeah, so that, that helped us, you know, that people were recognising what we were doing. Um, we didn't have the time to cook ourselves dinner or lunch, you know, that we had the opportunity to come here should we need to. Mm. Um, but because, you know, we, we'd been, all been working together for quite some time, we were a good team, we knew what, uh, what people's um, knowledge and experience was, we knew who to go to if we needed to check something. Um, it's one thing that struck me, I don't know if it's irrelevant, um, but it's a, quite a majority female team in the CBS. Yes, yes, that's right. You know, woman boss right. and, yes. and other senior figures like yourself. Yes. I, and, and the more junior ones as well. Yes, we've had um, a few more guys arrive recently, but post-pandemic, but I, I, there's no reason for that. It just... No, I just wondered if, it, if you felt compared with other places where you've worked, whether it, um, or whether, has it always been like that? Well, it's always been like that, <laughs> yes, to be honest. Yes. yes, we've always had more um, females than males. Um, our qualified person, who's responsible for making sure that the vaccine is okay to go into the clinical trial, that was Richard. He, obviously Richard, he's a man, but he's, <laughs> he's left now. Um, so he was probably, he was the most senior male in our group at the time, and our quality control manager then, a male has also since left, but so those are the two most senior males in the group. Mm, but mm. other than that, all females, yes. Mm, mm. Yeah, I don't know why it's happened. It just seems to be the case in some some scientific roles. Yes. No. I mean, I think what I was driving at was whether that um, whether you felt that made for um, uh, a more pleasant working environment, or whether that no, no different. Nothing whatsoever. to compare it with. No. Really. No. Yes. no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, and, I mean, has the experience of working through that period mm -hmm. um, changed the way you think about how to do things in the future? Um, I guess what we've learned is that planning is the key, you know, and obviously for normal manufacturing scale and speed, obviously we plan to the nth degree to make sure everything is ready. Um, but even doing things really quickly, you still have to plan what you're doing because if things go wrong, you don't get a second chance and you risk something becoming not safe. Um, so I think I always try and instill in my team, you know, if you want to do something, you need to plan for it. You can't just go and do it. And that's quite a big aspect of, of GMP, the way that we work. Mm, mm. Um, and it's, it, it, you know, you have the assurance that things are done properly if you do it like that and you reduce the risk of failure. Mm, mm. And, and what do you see as, as your own future? What, what do you plan to go on doing? People ask me that and every year <laughs> I have my annual review and I still don't know, you know. <laughs> I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I'd perhaps like to spend less time in the clean rooms. I'm getting on a bit now. It's, <laughs> it's, it's quite tiring working in the clean rooms. Um, obviously you're fully gowned, you've got the quite dry air, you get, can get quite dehydrated and thirsty in there. Um, it's quite a manual job, you know, we all have to make sure we can clean the facility. There's lots of climbing up step ladders and wielding mops around. So I'm kind of trying to delegate a lot more to the junior staff. Um, but I'm happy, what, I'm happy what I'm doing. I'm not sure if I'll be here till the day I retire. Um, 
I'd quite like to work possibly fewer hours than I'm doing, spend a bit more time with my son, um, whether that's here, if I can um, make sure our team are fully trained up and that might just come naturally, or whether that might be in a different role. I, I, I don't know that yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm happy in my job. 